everybody. Welcome to episode 24 of the Eat for Life podcast, your home for entrepreneurship, esports, education, entertainment. I'm one of your hosts, Marcus Howard. Red, unfortunately, couldn't be here tonight, but we wish her well. Uh, she'll be back next week for sure. Red, you know how we do. We miss you. We hope you're doing well, and we'll see you next week. I'm one of your hosts, Sebastian Chosen One Burton. And it's me with the mute button delay. What's going on there? AKA Mr. Dope Work in the building. Uh, shout out to Red. We miss you. I don't understand. Like we're trying to do our diversity and inclusion. And here we have the extraordinary cat on the line. And then our other extraordinaire is not available. Um, what do we got this week, Marcus? That's going to talk about uh, DeVertiga, some of the stuff that she's doing. She's, she's a, a thought leader in the ecosystem in terms of, of innovation for inclusion and community. And she can speak from firsthand experience from, you know, nearly a decade of experience in the gaming industry. So we're just going to chop it up and, and learn more about these insights for other gaming and esports uh, executives need to understand how to maximize value out of their businesses and communities as well. Hold on, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Now, we get a lot of people on the show, right? And we generally try to give them a good intro. We generally try to give them a good intro. We try to make sure the gravity of the value of what we're bringing to you is set upon you because we have some really, really awesome viewers. We love you guys from LinkedIn to Twitch to YouTube. But today I want to bring the value of cat to your doorstep, okay? You can be grateful to E4L after an episode like this. We told you, Marcus told you in the beginning, it's free consulting. If you want to talk to a woman who's worked in the industry for longer than a lot of us who've been doing freelance work in the industry, a lot of us who have been, you know, interested in attended industry events. She's worked and been around real projects for major games, for major productions. Um, I've seen it close. I've, I've watched, you know, what it takes to be in some of these leadership positions. And it shouldn't be taken lightly that Kat is literally an industry legend in the making. And I'm grateful that you came to the show. And welcome on to Eat for Life, Kat. If you didn't ever see another episode before, so as Derek says, get those baskets ready. Tonight's the night we get into it. Welcome, Kat. I can't thank y'all so much for such a generous introduction. Like y'all already know y'all are like family to me. So thank you truly from the bottom of my heart. Um, hello, everybody. Um, welcome to the Eat for Life podcast. Uh, hopefully you'll get something to out of this. Um, I had to pause a big time for the air horn. A note to self. I'll make sure. <laughs> You're getting it. She's getting it already. She's got it already. If you say something hot, we got to blow the air horn. Okay. Okay. But, um, but yeah, no, thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, no, definitely. Excellent. Okay. I've known you for almost 10 years. Uh, Started back in the project in a few days back 2013, you know, 2014. And and you were working with an indie team, Ridiculous Games, um, and probably some others. And and I think actually you were the first journalist to cover Project in Q. So that that really (laughs) made us like official, official. We were doing our work, but like, we got that game skinny article and we had that that coverage there. It was like, yo, I think we might have a chance at this. So thank you for that first and foremost. But can you tell people, you know, your your 
journey as a journalist and then how that evolved into game development and esports. You put on, help put on an amazing large scale conference during DreamHack. You know, I don't want to uh, get, get ahead of myself here. Definitely let, let you speak to it. Yeah, sure. And I, gosh, I can't believe it's already been almost 10 years. I remember uh, when I got the email about Project MQ and wrote the article and to this day, I'm kicking myself because I misspelled Malcolm's name. He's like, it's great, but you missed it. You missed one of the L's. My name I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so thank you for your graciousness for that, first of all. But it's been awesome watching, you know, y'all grow and just the industry grow. I never in my wildest dreams thought that I'd be where I am today. Incredibly blessed to be here. Um, not to spend a whole bunch of time, a soup can version. I've been all over the gaming industry. Um, I started as a traditional newspaper reporter, but then the industry went boom all at once with media convergence. So quickly pivoted to marketing and communications for a bunch of traditional non-endemic companies. Um, it's not as exciting as when I got my foot in the door with gaming at Game Skinny, and that's where I had the pleasure of covering uh, Project MQ for the first time. And um, geez, uh, the ga- I've been a gamer my whole life. So covering gaming was like, oh, I've arrived. This is amazing. I had no idea where it was going to take me. And um, working in games journalism turned into marketing for indie developers with Novi Unlimited out in California. Uh, that led to community management and um, esports with Hyra Studios when Realm Royale was out and kicking. When Ninja played it, we were like, oh, God, <laughs> we're not ready for this level of coverage yet, but here we go. <laughs> and uh, that turned into PR and partnerships for Skillshop Media. So uh, that was my first foray really into the esports world at High Res Studios and Skillshop Media. And my mind was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is a thing. And um, now I am at Shell Games. Uh, Uh, studying virtual reality and the power of educational gaming, um, particularly in the virtual reality space. So it's been super cool to just kind of ping around the industry and kind of collect different experiences. Um, Ridiculous Games, uh, we started work on an indie game. I have no coding experience whatsoever. But when it comes from a bunch of ideas and some writing and hey, a little bit of art, you know, it's a good friend of mine up in up in uh, Canada in um, in Calgary that I'm working with on that. So I'm I've been a little bit of everywhere. I know that there's still so much more to come, though. Um, And just working in the industry has led me to meet some amazing individuals like everybody here on this podcast. And um really get a foot in the door and blend my interest in helping um, the youth, particularly kind of like that college age, like just coming out of school, you kind of know what you want to do, but you're not really sure how to get there. Um, And that's kind of what led me to start Divertigo. So that's a, um, a community networking platform for professionals in the industry or aspiring aspiring professionals, you know, and it's just a place for us to hang out and talk and and really have some real conversations for minorities and gender minorities that are employed in the space. So 
I know me as a black woman in the industry, anytime I saw another person of color across the room, didn't have to say a word, just eye contacts. Like I'm going to find you later. We're going to talk about some stuff. Right. (laughs) And it's just like, we need more of that because I've met, had some amazing partnerships come out of those conversations, you know, and you never know what's going to come from it. So I would love, love, love to see and facilitate more of that in the industry. So that's kind of what we're dabbling with, with Divertiga. (laughs) That's dope. That's dope. Question. Can I ask you a question? Um, uh, With your time doing research on education in VR, what do you think about everything you're seeing with like VR and the metaverse? And do you think like there's a specific party that you see is doing it right? Or what is it going to take for a metaverse to exist? I have to ask that. Oh, geez. <laughs> I'm not an expert by any means on the metaverse. I've, I've just got involved in all of that maybe in October of last year. So I'm still learning. <laughs> She's been involved but in October. I, now, how many of y'all was thinking about the metaverse in October last year? Be honest. <laughs> you wasn't thinking about the metaverse. You wasn't thinking about it. But tell, but But seriously, though. It seems like it's coming on so fast and everybody's adopting the idea that we need to be ready for it. So I wonder what you, what you think about it since you've been working on it. Um, do you think it's a good thing? I mean, uh, what, what, I'm, I'm still so new to understanding it. It took Marcus a couple of months to bring me through on what blockchain was before I kind of got a grasp. So if you could just mm-hmm. give us a glimpse into what you think it is and what, how it could help education or how it could help, you know, the Internet experience in general. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think the biggest thing that the metaverse affords is this lovely convergence of different people and different spaces across different platforms. You know, so a large part of the problem of what's happening today, um, especially with a lot of organizations that are fighting or promoting, not even fighting, just promoting a, a, a cause, you know, so let's say this person or organization is serving the K through 12 market. That's their focus. And then this person over here is serving women and that's their focus, you know, and that's absolutely fine. But when those, when like ghostbusters, when you cross the streams, that's like when stuff pops off. Right. So the metaverse is an, is kind of like a, a digital equivalent to that happening. You know, so you're seeing VR, you're seeing AR, you're seeing these digital spaces, you're seeing crypto, you're seeing blockchain, you know, and it's, it's hard to grasp because it's so big, right? And there's so many different pieces to it, but they all kind of funnel into the same space. So I, my biggest hope for the metaverse is that it continues to evolve, but it evolves um, in a, in a it, it, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Not democratized. Inclusive? Inclusive. Yes, there we go. (laughs) I haven't had my coffee. I didn't get my dessert. Like I said, I was going to sugar needs sugar. Um, Yeah, it's it's equitable because now it's like you have all of these different places coming together and they're brand new frontiers in a lot of different ways, you know, so you're not seeing like really kind of old technology that's coming into the metaverse. It's evolutions of like next gen stuff that you're seeing kind of moving and shaking around. And um, I think that with virtual reality in particular, you know, as 
like the Oculus Quest has made virtual reality a lot more accessible. It's a lot more affordable than, you know, some of the earlier rigs that came out that cost what, like a grand. And then you had the drill holes and put all these lights up. And it's just like, you probably need a degree to to get it set up and running correctly. Right. right? right. But the Quest, it's so easy. It's so seamless. Anybody can hop in, you know? So there's like what I call the, 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 kind of shallow end of the metaverse. And that's when, you know, people put on a, a VR headset for the first time and they're going to conferences with their coworkers and Facebook horizons or something like that, you know, to this much, much larger thing, you know, so an entire digital economy, you know, where you have this digital existence, you know, and it's all kind of it's reality augmented by this digital space, you know, where the possibilities are truly endless, you know, so the metaverse is kind of like outer space, you know, (laughs) we kind of, we know some of it, right. We got our Neil deGrasse Tyson's, you know, all of y'all are the Margusons. You are the Neil deGrasse Tyson of the metaverse. Put that on your, on your, on your name tag. (laughs) Appreciate that. Um, so like, like all of those things that you said about the metaverse, it sounds exciting. It sounds like, oh man, it's innovative. It's something new. Mm -hmm. Um, but isn't it also scary because when you think of the digital red line and the digital divide in our community, we're still talking about trying to get on broadband internet. Meanwhile, there's a whole group that's ahead of us that is doing digital real estate where they're buying up digital assets. So there's no way for us to come into the game and actually be on par with everyone at the same starting line because we are still behind. But why is that not a critical situation? Why are we still excited about the possibilities and hope versus like, oh my God, we need to catch up. Mm, No, that's a great point, Derek. It's absolutely a great point. And, um, that kind of leads me to this book uh, called by uh, Ruha Benjamin. It's called Race After Technology. And in it, it really goes deep into uh, what people are calling Jim Code. You know, so this is now uh, another layer of suppression, you know, that's happening in black and brown communities because we don't have the Internet access. We don't have the people in our communities that are boots on the ground able to train and talk through some of these concepts that boil up into the metaverse, you know, so there's a lot of education that needs to happen like forever. It's as long as technology is evolving, as long as, as new things are coming out, as long as new opportunities are there, there's always going to be the early adopters, you know, who, who have the access, who have the money, who have the means, you know, and then you have everybody else. And then you have disenfranchised communities that may want the access that, you know, may want that knowledge, but they don't have the means or the the ability to to get it on their own terms, you know? So that's why, you know, consultants like you, Derek, are so important with what you're doing with High Point Gamer, you know, just getting out there and telling people, it's like, hey, this is a thing, we can do this. But you, you raise a really good point because as much excitement and buzz as there is about the metaverse, there's still large, large groups of people who have never heard of it, (laughs) who don't understand it. And I bet you, I bet you a a pretty decent sum of money that a lot of them are probably in black and brown or underrepresented communities, you know, and that's not even just, you know, black people, it's, you know, 
what city did you grow up in? You know, where are you geographically in the world? You know, just where, what street you're on for heaven's sake. Like if you're in a place where your internet access is bad, you're not going to be able to take advantage of esports or, you know, get into virtual meeting rooms or anything. You're going to like lag out and drive yourself crazy. You know, so long answer to your very, very good point. We should be excited because in the grand scheme of things, this industry, there is no, there isn't like a, like a, like a progression system that's set in stone, right? Where, so if you were to be a dentist or a doctor, you have to do this in order to do this, in order to do this, in order to do this. It's very, very linear. Um, but in the esports, gaming, metaverse industry right now, like there is no college degree, you know, really outside of game design that's going to get you in here. There isn't any mandate that you have to have this many years of work experience. You know, at the end of the day, if you have a, a passion, good Internet and the ability to talk to people and not be an asshole, you know, then there's a chance that you sorry, I forgot. Ooh, potty mouth. Going to keep it clean. Not be a jerk. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> there's there's a chance, there's a good chance, you know, it, especially if you keep plugging away, that you'll be able to find your footing in the gaming and esports industry, right? So as accessible as this space is, as quickly as it's evolving, as much as it has the capacity to grow and change, you know, the the Right now, the biggest barrier to entry is the technological divide, is the gym code, you know, that's preventing uh, certain communities from the knowledge or the technological access that they need in order to really take advantage of these opportunities. So it's definitely a double edged kind of thing, you know, where it's like there's this great hope, this this awesome, you know, future on the horizon. Then you have a, a bunch of communities that don't even know the sun is coming up, you know, across the hill. Um, so that's where, you know, the each one teach one model is really, really important. And it shouldn't fall on our communities to always try and lift up our communities because just even the the four of us, we've been, you know, gatekeeped. We've been, you know, like, oh, yeah, we that's cool. But no, you know, and all of that, you know, so it's incredibly hard even when you know what you're talking about sometimes to get a foot in the door, never mind a seat at the table, you know? So when it comes to building up people who look like us or have similar experiences, that's where our, our work comes in. It's like, Hey, you know, young black woman, I see you out there playing video games. Don't ever stop. Don't ever let anybody tell you it's weird. You're cool. You know, keep doing that, you know? And then if you want to consider a career, this is what I did. It's not going to be the same path, but I'm an open book. You know, but it's up to the wider gaming industry and community to open their doors, you know, to create a more inclusive and equitable space. And that includes creating opportunities, not just, well, we have an esports program for, for girls now. Okay, that's great. But are you actually going out to where these girls are and talking to them on a daily basis to make them feel like they should be there? Because nobody's going to walk through some random open door just because it's open. You know, you got to have a reason, you know? So if you're not going outside of your own door to be like, Hey friend, you want to come check this out? It's really cool. You know, we're doing this and this and this, I think you'd be great for it. You know, that's what we need to do in order to, to get people 
um, over into gaming and esports, the metaverse, and all of the other wonderful things that are going to happen probably next week because that's how quickly the gaming industry changes. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's 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 a tag team effort. So yes, I'm incredibly excited about everything on the horizon. Am I? It does it give me pause because you see the same people coming to the table at the same conferences saying the same thing and they all look the same? Absolutely. But there's always a chance. There's always a chance. There's until that door is closed and it's never going to close. There's we can get in there. And, you know, as well as I do, as soon as we get in there, it's we take it and we're we're gone. <laughs> Boy, I don't broke the button. You can broke the button. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say uh, participation is awesome, but participation without power to me just increases the same old, same old that we've been doing. So it's it's one thing that there isn't a linear tier to get in the industry and participate in the industry, but it's almost like uh, Call of Duty. When it first comes out, those individuals that started playing Call of Duty in the beginning, they're going to be perked up and leveled up. And you're going to be trying to catch up and get to the AK with the red beam and whatever that everyone else is dominating and killing you with. Right. In the industry, it's, if we try to participate, but the individuals that actually have the power are still having the power to say whether I, I want you to participate or whether I want to cap you at how much you can be successful in this space, because either I control the code, I control the infrastructure, or I can control the bandwidth. And how do we get to the point where you can get outside of that control and be do more than participate? Like I feel like participation is a low bar when we have something that allows us to change the game from where we've come from and been. Mm, now that's an excellent point. I love these these questions. Um, I think the answer to that, I don't think I know. The answer to that is two-tier. One, even if participation in the current arenas that exist will only get us so far, we still need to be there. You know, because we're not, there's never going to be a next step of anything if we're not even in the same room that these conversations are happening. Does that mean that we're on the marquee or on the stage? Probably not. Does that mean that they want us there? Probably not. You know, or if they do, they don't know really how to put people in a position of power where they can then enact the change that you're talking about. Right. But we still need to have people participating and coming through. You know, otherwise, there aren't people that look like you doing anything, you know, because we're not even in the room. Um, you're not privy to some of the really important conversations, even from a fly on the wall perspective. I don't know how much I pick up just sitting at conferences and just like listening, you know, it's just like, hmm, that's interesting. You're talking about that. Okay. All right. Oh, and this person was talking about that. Okay. I, I love, I'm, I know this is a poor example on, on right now, but I love listening more than I speak, you know, because as more, as much as people talk, you know, like you can really glean some wonderful information just by like, yeah, even though I know what I know, I'm just going to listen real quick, see where you're coming from. What are your pain points? And then when I come back, it feels like I'm talking to you and I already know you because I've really, really done a great job of listening. So that's where the participation uh, aspect of it comes in. You know, we always have to have our finger on the pulse in that way. Now, when it comes to the gatekeeping that you're talking about, which is absolutely true and it's prevalent, whether it's intentional or unintentional, yeah, to me, it all feels intentional because just do better. Right. But, you know, some people, they don't know how to do better. So we see this whole, 
you know, push towards diversity, equity, and inclusion in the space now, which is great, you know, but there's going to be a lot of mistakes. There's going to be a lot of drop balls. There's going to be a lot of, you know, headlines that aren't so great, you know, for leaders in the industry. Um, But when it comes to getting into positions of power, it really, in my opinion, goes back to what we've had to do all along and that's build our own, you know, so yes, does it help to have the buy-in and the support of the major players that are already in the space? We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be validated. We want to be given a chance. But if they're not willing to open that door, or they don't feel like it's important, then we need to build our own door. And we just need to do the best we can with what we have. And there's enough information out there now, you know, and then there's enough information out there to get started. And the industry is still such a wild, wild west that as long as you're quick on the draw, like people are gonna be like, oh, you know what you're talking about. You know, and that doesn't mean that you could you be disingenuous or you're some kind of fake prophet, you know, when it comes to this. Having a level of humility is like, I don't know, but I know an organization that does know, you know, and going to them in partnership and and bartering and just, hey, can I shadow you for a day and figure it out? You know, we really have to be able and willing to forego an invitation to the dinner party and just throw our own dinner party and learn the best we can. And with our collective knowledge and resources pulled together, there the sky's the limit. I mean, his, you've seen it all throughout American history, you know, what people are capable of when nobody wants them to do anything, you know, especially not in their particular arena, you know, so... Is it, is it disheartening? Yes, because I don't know how many friends I've met through gaming that don't look like me, sound like me, different countries. Like we are barely speaking the same language, you know, but it's still so homogenous, you know, and misogynistic. And there's just so many, it's a lot of the same. So long answer to your short question again, sorry. <laughs> um, it's, it's really about, okay. If you're not going to give me an opportunity, I'm going to do it myself. I, I, I don't, I'm not waiting for your permission anymore. I'm just going to go and do it. And when you see what's going on over here that I've had to build, you know, on my own and with, with partners and trusted friends, don't come asking for like a, Hey buddy, what's going on? You're so cool. You want to work together? Like, I don't know how many times that's happened. It's like never took me seriously a day in my life. Like, right. Oh wait, do you really play video games? No, never played. I play professional solitaire, sweetie. That's my video game. Right. You know, it's just insulting. It's like, okay. But then when you get to a certain place that they can't access genuinely, or they don't understand now they want to come and talk to you about all the things. Right. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you do it out of spite or you do it to be petty, you know, to be like, oh, nah, you know, that's, that's a hard no for me, fam, you know, but at the same time, this is something that we have to think about, you know, um, and weigh whether saying yes to this opportunity is really, really going to open the door for other people, or if it's just kind of a goodwill token so that a certain organization or a company can check a diversity box, you know? So it, it's, it's hopeful and it's sucky. It's very bittersweet in a lot of ways, you know, especially like working in the industry. Um, I have great hope for where it's going and who, what it will look like in the future, you know, as 
gaming is more accepted as a career path and not just, oh, you're going to be sucking down Mountain Dew and snorting pizza in your parents' basement for the rest of your life uh, if you're a gamer. Right? It's not real. But I, but I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to ask a question. Um, what 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 are your thoughts on, and any of the three of you can really chime in on this, but this is something that's been making me think all week. Like, what are your thoughts on the, like, inability to stop, like, racism, you know, sexism, um, you know, misogyny, all that kind of stuff that be happening, like, in the everyday... I'm just going to use Call of Duty as an example. I know it happened in all gaming across, you know, the board. But, like, on an average day of Call of Duty, we think of, like, that being, like, so ingrained in the culture to be, like, so racist or misogynistic or, you know, all those things are, like, so ingrained in the culture. I thought about something the other day. If you really think about the mass adoption of online play, that probably started for consoles around 2002, 2003, right? Depending on who you ask. So... 2002, 2003, this was the first generation of people who grew up with, like, that kind of verbal, digital, like, abuse on, like, a daily basis for, like, 20 years of, like, if you've ever spent 10 minutes in the Call of Duty lobby, again, it doesn't have to be just Call of Duty, but any of these lobbies, like, what do you think of that culture, and does that advance forward into the metaverse? Because to me, before gaming can go forward, and I'm always telling, uh, Marcus, Derek, this, and I'm always telling you this too. Before it goes forward, that stuff has to like to me be broken down because you can't just bring that forward from where it's at. You know what I mean? Like that, that especially not like just the blatant racism, the things like that. Like that kind of stuff can't go forward and allow like brands to grow, economies to grow. I don't think that the kids today want it. I don't think they want it. I don't think they want it. And I want to know what you think about, you know, maybe what you've seen for people trying to stop that from being as an insider in the industry or um, what, 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 what do you think, uh, like, solutions are for it? Because it's something that, you know, I think about. I'm like, we grew up with, you know, the N-word being hurled at us at 12, 13 years old 50 times in two hours. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even, even our ancestors who got walked down the street with dogs and fire hydrants and all that. They heard it like 11 times in a two-hour period, right? And there was a lot of bad actions. Don't get me wrong. But I've definitely heard it like 100 times in 60 minutes. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. And I just wonder what you think about that carrying forward because it seems to not be any getting any better. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I'd love to flip it. Marcus, I have a question for you, actually. How do you think that the metaverse and the way that it's headed is more of a like a professional kind of tint to it? So it's more like, you know, people who are established, you know, they're working. Um, Is that the larger population that is talking about and interested in the metaverse right now compared to, you know, the casual gamer that might boot up COD and, you know, drop N words and F bombs for God knows how long (laughs) with I think it's a mix between the two. I think depending on who you ask, the metaverse has existed for the length of time we were able to connect to the internet, right? So technically, Call of Duty lobbies are a form of the metaverse, right? You have a a digital persona. You've got your, you know, your icons, your 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 community, your your reputation that existed. I guess since the commercial internet, so 
maybe further back 96 or so, depending on the timeline. But I also see it being driven by investors and businesses who see the potential. So they want to make it like the next Bitcoin or rather blockchain, right? The internet came in and basically disrupted everything that we know about society and personal life over the last 20 years. Blockchain's on track to do the same thing. And most people have largely missed that over the last 12 years, right? Uh, particularly the black and brown community, because in order to be in the blockchain ecosystem early on, even today, you need a high powered um, GPU, right? Gaming uh, card. And most black and brown communities don't have that. Like I don't have that. I didn't have, that's why I've been kind of on the sidelines for blockchain for the last 10 years, because I never had enough equipment to actually mine crypto. And it's gotten more and more difficult over time because of the way the algorithm set up. So it's no surprise to me that like, I only know a handful of black folks in the blockchain crypto ecosystem. That said, and I'm going to just circle back to something you said earlier, you're right. It is about those of us who are pioneering to open the door for other people. There's a gentleman by the name of um, Lamar Wilson. He has a um, clubhouse group called Black Bitcoin Billionaires. And he's also been in the uh, blockchain crypto space about 10 years. You know, he's made his bread in, in the digital space. And actually now he's starting a pitch competition in four or eight weeks or so to invest in black owned businesses and get them exposure into the crypto ecosystem and teach them about the crypto ecosystem. So you're exactly right. Like that's what hopefully we'll see more of in this space is those of us who are hopefully able to kind of get to the next level to lower the ladder so more people can get there. But I do think it's going to be largely driven by businesses in that professional ecosystem because the metaverse is expensive, right? To build an entire virtual ecosystem takes money, takes infrastructure, resources that the average person doesn't have. But again, gamers have been doing that for 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to answer your question, uh, Sebastian, yeah. I feel like I don't understand why consoles and PC from a profile standpoint have not evolved, meaning when you fire up like Far Cry or something like that and you're building your character, the time that you spend to get your character ready for a game is way more time that you put into getting your profile ready to get online. I should be able to build the same type of profile when I create my Xbox Live account or my uh, PlayStation account that allows me to say, yeah, I want to be a shit talker. I, I want to be a piece of shit online. And, and so therefore group me with the other piece of shit people that talk trash and I'll be okay. Or I'm the type of person that's like, Hey, no, I don't want to hear that. I want to be with everyone that um, is just on here with their family that has their kids in the next room and playing with. And therefore I'm able to pair. I, to me, I don't see why that is so difficult. That, that would be a good stage to start with to minimize so that you can have your world be whatever you want your world to be. I don't believe in, Oh, you know what? We should, chop everyone off at the head that is online doing that because just like in real life, everyone goes and pairs up with the type of community that they want to be with. And I feel like if you want to be around people like that online, so be it. I shouldn't be the one to stop you because like, you know what? I really don't like when people call me nigger online. And so therefore no one should be able to say it so that I'll feel good. Like, eh, or would you rather be around people that have no interest in using that? Which one do you want? Do you want to stop someone so that they have to pretend and therefore, you're still around the snakes, or would you rather be in the room where the snakes don't exist? A good point, but I also want the snakes to die. That's what I want. I don't want. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a great point. But I, I'm telling you, like, I'm not cool with that. Oh, where's a couple all the racists in the room? They could just go somewhere. No, 
I don't want them to have no access. That's what the, I have a problem with that. I'm not cool with y'all playing Call of Duty. No Call of Duty for you. I want them to look them in the face at the store and say, no. We heard that, what you said last year, Tyler362. <laughs> we heard you. <laughs> You're not getting it. And you can tell your mom. You tell her. Okay, bring her over here. I'm going to tell her no to. You the mom? Come here. Come here. I have to tell you. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I do think that's a dope solution. And hopefully someone from Microsoft or someone was listening and they give credit to High Point Gamer and D because that was brilliant. The profile has been outdated. It has been. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. It has been outdated. And it allows it to happen. And all jokes aside, if it was like some like, oh, they're trash talkers or they're mean, then I would see what you're saying, D, is like 100%. Right now, I'm 98% with you. The only 2% I have is like, I'm not, I don't want the racist to just have a space at all. Like, what what kind of company are you like where it's like, oh, yeah, well, these guys, they get real rough on Sundays. Like, no, they get real racist. <laughs> <laughs> like, what don't you guys understand about that? Like, no, they get real racist. Like, it's hard to get like, geez. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, thanks for answering my question. Though. That's really brilliant. It has, it should be the consoles or the PCs, um, you know, that allow this. Because look at, you have a, com- you have a, uh, a company, uh, um, a community like League of Legends, right? Mm-hmm. League of Legends, like, has 100 million users per month. But I think the reason why it won't adapt massively is because, the, I mean, the behavior. You just see some of those things. Like, uh, YouTube is just, the things these people say to people on a regular day to day basis is like insane. It's insane. It's insane. It's insane. Like, you wouldn't say that to somebody even if you had a problem with them in person. Like, if you mm-hmm. didn't like them, you wouldn't say some of these things. It brings out things that we, man, just YouTube. I, if any of you are wondering, you probably know, but if any of you are wondering, just YouTube. Put in your favorite game if it's competitive multiplayer. Especially them shooting games. Put competitive multiplayer mm-hmm. racist in YouTube and watch what comes back. It's gonna be a catalog, okay? And that's that's a problem, right? Like that's a problem. That's a you know. I, in the end of the day, I love that all of us bring different things, but in the end, we want esports to win and succeed. If you want the ecosystem to be a real thing with you know real players, staff, community, up and coming achievers, things like that. Mass adopted racism is like not okay. We're at the point in the other leagues where like, you know, like, hey, there's not enough black owners. There's not enough black or, you know, minority of ownership. Like gaming, they're like, yeah, we couldn't keep them in the same room. They had some things to say about each other. <laughs> and this is just how we do in gaming. Like, no, it needs to be better, right? That's just my thought mm-hmm. process on that. But no, that's that I love that idea, Derek. Seriously, you should, you know. I don't know how to copyright an idea, but you should look into that. Because, right. <laughs> um, I mean, that would be a good step in just being able to, you know, see who is making up the landscape, right? You know, how do you identify yourself? And if there isn't any real, like, repercussions, because right now, if you come out and you say a whole bunch of racist or misogynist things, like, you're going to get canceled so quick, it's ridiculous. You know, but if those things are who you are, then I would much rather know and know what you represent than to be blindsided by it or to give you any of my time or energy and then discover, you know, something like that. Right. Um, The thing about the metaverse that's interesting is that, 
even though the gaming space is like the biggest contributor to the pipeline, well, one of the biggest contributors to the pipeline. And, you know, to Marcus's point, it's been around like a COD lobby is definitely a version of a metaverse. We have little puddles of metaverse all around us, you know, and they're just like everywhere. And like after a rain, it's like, okay, well, you know, so it's going to come together. It's going to be a ocean one day. <laughs> and isn't it crazy? And, um, but you see a lot of big businesses, you know, Facebook, they're talking constantly about their desire to be the forerunner into the metaverse. Um, uh, you're seeing a lot of these traditional uh, corporations getting involved. You're getting coverage in Forbes and Fortune and Fast Company. You know, so if you used esports and gaming as a comparison, you know, these big mainstream business entrepreneurship publications were not covering gaming and esports to the extent that they're covering the metaverse. Like everybody's kind of catching up all at once. And the business leaders and entrepreneurs out there see an immense opportunity, right? You know, this is the part of the Oregon Trail where it's all smooth sailing. You got your Conestoga wagon all caulked and ready to go. You know, right. you're not worried about anything. Everybody's healthy in your party. You got enough food for days. It's, it's kind of right. where we are with this space right now. And I, I believe that with traditional companies and the heat that a lot of, you know, just organizations, endemic and non-endemic are getting, you know, they're under the microscope in terms of, are you diverse? Are you inclusive? Equitable pay, you know, equitable opportunity. Like people are really asking these questions in the wake of the dumpster fire that was last year, you know, and they're being held accountable in ways that we haven't seen. I haven't seen in a ever, I think probably ever. Right. And that doesn't mean that every company is going to get it right or that they're sincere or genuine about what they're doing. But the fact that you have these big businesses really driving the metaverse forward and these big publications digging in, the, explaining it to other people, um, kind of Forbes had a really good article about like, if you don't know what the heck the metaverse is, let's talk about it. And I'm like, I share that article with everybody because it's just, it's really easy to understand. It's well broken down, but because you see these big companies and they're being held accountable that will minimize some of the toxicity because they don't want their brand associated with that. You know, that's a PR disaster waiting for them for waiting to happen. You know, I mean, just Activision Blizzard and everything that's happening in that space. You, you ignored a California lawsuit for two years. If that was me, as soon as the lawyers stepped on my doorstep, I'd be like, hold on, wait, time out. We need to completely overhaul all the things because, you know, even if we didn't get it right, we're going to start getting it right today and we're going to make up for lost time. And I, in my wildest dreams, I would never, ever, you know, wait until the results come out and then scramble. That just doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, um, but because these businesses are involved, they're paying attention, they're iterating and designing. Yes, there's still the very big problem that it will be the same players at the table. There's not going to be as, as diverse as it should be. But I'm confident that it will be a lot more diverse than it was two years ago because these conversations are happening and people are paying attention. Yes, the, you know, putting a black screen on Twitter, you know, in solidarity. Great. Awesome. Good job. You know, but that's that's a that's not even a drop in the bucket. That's just moisture in the atmosphere. So we really need to 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 
continue to hold these organizations accountable because that will kind of trickle down to making the the brands, the people that are affiliated with these organizations that are moving and shaking, you know, they have to be corporate airtight, you know, they can't do or say certain things, you know, and if they do, then, you know, we've seen how cancel culture comes in, nothing's private or stays private for long. I mean, we're getting stuff from 2012 that's kicking up like, hey, no, this person said this, you know, because the internet has a forever memory. <laughs> they don't forget. You know, so I think that, that that's going to help minimize some of the toxicity, uh, the racist language, the misogyny that you would see in the Call of Duty lobby, you know, when it comes to the metaverse at large, because you just have so many big companies with a, a reputation to protect and an image to uphold that can't can't align with people that would undermine that. And is it as good as not wanting to do business with those people in the first place? I don't know. You know, that comes to the motivations of the leaders of the company. But I will take you upholding a corporate image and banning that kind of behavior over you not doing anything at all or even aligning yourself or justifying it. So how important do you think the data ownership is to the metaverse? Mm, I'm so glad you asked. All the cuss words right now, so freaking important. Oh wow. my goodness, yes. Like, <laughs> okay. you know, because that's, that's the power, right? Is being able to see at large from a bird's eye view how people are maneuvering, what they're talking about, what they're engaging in, what ideas are coming out of this. Because good data mining leads to the next iteration of something. If you're, and it doesn't have to be numbers, you don't have to be a data scientist. If you can pay attention, to what people are saying and have just a little creativity and problem solving, you can use the data of the conversations that you're having or have heard, um, the problems that you're seeing coming up in the papers, the problems that you're hearing from other people. You know, that's a data set, you know, in which you can take that and then develop something that will solve the next need, you know, and Lord knows how much that would be worth. Lord knows who that would put you in touch with or give you access to. So the data is so, so important. You know, it's the same thing as, you know, content creation. Are you a consumer? Are you contributing to viewership and all the statistics that, you know, somebody sees coming through their YouTube channel? Or are you the person creating and then looking at the data set? You know, because the, the having access to the data um, of you know, just how people are maneuvering in this space, what they're engaging with, how they're engaging with it is going to be vitally important because we're going to see the next generation of companies emerge from that, that level of observation. Um, and if, even if you don't have the holistic view, um, like, so just like the overall landscape, it's definitely important to pay attention to what you can and do have access to, you know, so it might not be at, at the scale of a, of a AAA publisher or, you know, a huge gaming company or, you know, something like Facebook. But um, even in our own communities, there's a wealth of data and statistics, you know, turning over to how is your regional demographics? Where are the areas in which people are living? You know, where are there connectivity issues? You know, where is there, you know, poor school districts that don't have the means to really get you the textbooks that you need, never mind, like, uh, internet connection that would afford you to really, you know, go on YouTube and learn some more or game, you know, with uh, casually with other people. 
Um, so I think that the data, like data is important to the four of us because we know how integral it is, you know, in order to be relevant and to have these conversations and to move them forward. But data is like, I don't know, it's like a, it's a shiny trinket, you know, for a lot of, to a lot of communities, data is a shiny trinket when people are starving. You know, I'm not worried about, you know, a freaking steel series keyboard if I don't have food on my table, you know? So it's, there's so much to it. It's, it's a bigger socioeconomical quagmire that we're here, that we're in, in the United States, you know, and gaming is this weird Petri dish that just captures so much of the struggle, (laughs) you know, it's just like, huh, you know, in a way that really kind of reflects the larger narrative of what's happening in the United States to disenfranchise communities. It's a lack of access. It's a lack of education. It's a lack of opportunity. It's a lack of willingness to reach out and help, you know, and that's the exact same thing that we're seeing in this space. But, you know, we, gosh, it breaks my heart, but we have to, especially as pioneers in this space, you know, to anybody, to y'all on the show and to anybody who's listening, um, to tap in where you can at the level that you can, you know, knowing that your expertise is going to grow as you continue to evolve, you know, but if you're passionate about gaming and the only thing that you have to offer is like, hey, no, it's cool if you're a gamer. There's career paths. I can show you a couple of them. And that's it. That's something, right? You know, and then one day, like as we continue to get there, now we're concerned about, okay, I know gaming is a career path, but what level of HBCUs have a game design course along with their esports labs? Let's look at that data set. Let's explore that because it's a loop, you know, and you can't have one really sustain one without the other. Right. You can have the game design, but esports is the sexy chick in the room that everybody wants to talk about. You know, but if you don't let's not go there because that could go off the rails real quick, Catherine. If you don't know how like if you don't have like basic, like just conversational skills, chances are you're probably not gonna get very far in that conversation with that sexy woman across the room. Right. So or man or whatever. Um so when it comes to getting into a position where okay. I've learned, I've grown, I've evolved. And now I'm at the level of being able to look at the data, process it and draw meaningful conclusions from it because your your wealth of knowledge is so great that you're able to look at things that look disparate, that don't look like they're connected and make those connections, right? It really comes down to the, like Maslow's uh, pyramid of hierarchy. Somebody who's starving is not worried about spiritual actualization. They're not worried about yoga and getting their chakras in line. They're worried about food on the table. (laughs) And that's the kind of the same thing that we're going to see in this space is you have people that really just need a a bare bones understanding of what even is the metaverse? How do I do esports? Do I spell esports with a capital E or a lowercase E? Is there a hyphen? Is S capitalized? You know, so that's like, bottom floor, you know, but then when we get to the point where, okay, been through all of that, good, 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 good. Now I'm really worried about what are the patterns that exist and how can I then draw conclusions from that data set and then inform the next generation of the industry. 
It's, it's incredibly powerful, right? I'm so excited, especially as more people come to the table with their own experiences, because that's what makes it powerful. I can be looking at, jeez, uh, let's see. Let's say pixie sticks. That's the only candy I've ever eaten my entire life. And I can tell you, okay, so the orange one's going to taste like this. The red one's going to taste like this. You know, if you mix these two flavors, you'll get this flavor, right? But then if somebody comes to me with, to a, with a Snickers bar, I'm like, what even is this? What am I supposed uh-huh. to do with this? I don't yeah. know what this is, right? <laughs> but both of us together from different experiences on the candy aisle, it's like, you never know what's going to happen. You know, right. you never know. Oh, well, you know, chocolate does pair well with this. Can you tell I really went to some dessert? Then <laughs> 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 you're talking about candy and pixie sticks, you know, but it's just your unique perspective also affects how you will look at data, right? Your experiences, what you've been exposed to, even what kind of games you play and how you played them. Did you play with family on the couch? Or did you log on online and you were playing with randos, you know, that became your friends maybe or didn't, I don't know. But all of those things will influence how people look at data and then extract information from it. You know, so it's it's incredibly exciting because the, the possibilities are truly infinite. Like we're at the tip of the iceberg in terms of this whole industry. You know, it's like game development's been out for a while, but even that industry is constantly changing and you're seeing incredible strides in accessibility um, in terms of ideas and concepts that are presented. Um, so I'm rambling, but I'm excited. Data is important. <laughs> it is yes, so important. Is. No. But I don't know if that's the starting conversation that we can have with a lot of people. It's definitely a, a more, it's something that you start to look at once you get all of those foundational principles, experiences, and just your, your, your footing in the industry. The hierarchy. The hierarchy. I think... Um... Man, I, I think I knew I was going to learn a lot tonight, but I didn't think I was going to get this much. So I want to ask, will you come back to another episode? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I'd do anything for y'all. It doesn't matter. <laughs> of course. I got so much out of tonight. I got to go back and cut these gems up and get these out to the people. Good people need to know this stuff you said today because it is very important about the data and how data is observed. And they're a good question because that's the whole point, right? Like, the money they're saying data per capita is more valuable than oil now. So all y'all, we're trying to eat for life. That's the point of this whole thing. So like, we really need to understand that different games people play, right? The different ways they engage, the different things are all data points that we are the players. We're the ones who started and was born around video games. We have to be the ones to take and aggregate that information and build our new products, our new ideas, our new cultures, and our new landscape in this wild, wild west called eSports. So, you know what? You're welcome. Eat for Life bringing you free gems, free consultation. Thank you, Kat, for coming on. Let us know where we can find you at and what you're working on this week and you know how people can stay in touch with you. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I like carrier pigeons. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> most of the time. Because, <laughs> um, I'm at Culture and Life, C-U-L-T-U-R-Y-N-L-I-F-E. Um, I lurk on the other social media platforms, but I'm there. You know, if you want to you know, reach out, I'll be like, hello, and then disappear into the ether and observe all the greatness around me. <laughs> I learned so much. I know y'all are like, dang, Kat never engages with any of our posts. I read them all. I watch everything. I'm just like, oh, yes. It's like I'm 
Darth Vader in my chamber, like just healing, right? <laughs> um, but yes, and then in terms of projects, we will have a really cool announcement coming out for Divertiga in a couple of weeks, so stay tuned. But for the shell game side of things, our uh, I Expect You to Die 2, which is our VR escape room puzzle game. If you love being a secret agent, love James Bond 007, and want a chill seated experience with some good puzzles, that game drops on Tuesday um, on Oculus Quest, Rift, PSVR, and SteamVR. So we'd love to see you in the field, agent. <laughs> All right, now. All right. How about you, Marcus? What do you got going on this week? Yeah, shout out to Shell Games, actually. You know, that was one of the games that we partnered with to support the early access launch for uh, I Expect You to Die 1. So that's how we got connected to Shell Games up in Pennsylvania. Uh, This week, I'm going to be burning this 10-year-old piece of art to create an NFT. Okay. So I'm going to set it on fire. I've owned it since 2011. There's a ring light, so you can't see. Yep, there it is. It's called Bullets for Bullets. It's a cowboy's kind of being chased and trying to move forward, but he's also firing back. To me, that symbolizes my entrepreneurship journey. Okay. Um, unfortunately, it has a great degree of black mold on it, and my family here has uh, mold allergies, so I can't keep it in the house. And I've been needing to get in, more into the NFT space, so I'm going to set fire to this 10-year-old piece of art, record it, and then upload it into the blockchain. Okay. So, uh, like so I don't have anything amazing like that, that um, other than that. Your mic, on, on your mic, your mic. You still can hear me? Check my check. check, check, check. It's a little, a little robotic. Still a little, still a little robotic. Okay. Right, check, check. Still robotic. Oh, still robot. Mm-hmm. Introducing our new cast member, Derek, the robot. <laughs> this is his uh, metaverse check. persona. No, Derek the robot's gone. Now regular. It's better, it's better, it's better. It still sounds robotic. No, no it's good. good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Oh, good. Okay. Um, unlock your future uh, speaking event this week. So excited about that. Uh, we have some free tickets to underrepresented community if you uh, need to. If you don't need free tickets, do not get free tickets. Register. Uh, a lot of great speakers that are going to be speaking. I'm going to be talking about uh, introvert to entrepreneur and my journey um, and crossing over to one from the other. Uh, so tune in, man. I'll be tuned into that. I'll be tuned into that. That's with uh, Alan Clary, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Shout out to Alan. I'll be tuned into Shout that. Alan. You know, and all y'all out there, I hope when you're not with us, you're tuning into things like Unlock Your Future uh, and, you know, all of these type of events because uh, it's about educating yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. You only know, I think I posted on LinkedIn last week, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes of all time from Men in Black is... Uh, is when, when uh, Agent J sits with Agent K, and he hasn't joined yet, but he's like, you know, he's like, man, you know, I don't know what to make of this. This is so much information you gave me. It's like, you know, people will be, why don't, you just, why don't we just tell everybody, right? Like, everybody should know aliens are on the earth. But it's like, people are panicky, stupid, and, you know, crazy. You know that. The person is smart, but people aren't. Because it's all about what you know, okay? It's all about what you know. And, you know... 500 years ago, everybody knew the earth was flat. Or 5,000 years ago, everybody knew the earth was flat. And 500 years ago, everybody knew the earth was the center of the universe. And 15 minutes ago, you knew we were alone on this planet. So just imagine what you'll know tomorrow. 
And I just think about that all the time because it's the more you learn, the more you earn. What you don't know is the thing separating you from what you want. So you have to know. So you got guys like Derek, Marcus, uh, Alan, you know, um, I saw a bunch of other great uh, people hosting there. Like I would just take it and soak it up. That's what I'm going to try to do. So I just hope all y'all, you know, take that time and keep getting stronger because that's how we eat for life. That said, not doing a free training tomorrow because I have a project I'm working on. But <laughs> and I just did all that uh, teaching and learning. But tomorrow I'm not going to be on doing a free course for uh, Eat for Life. But uh, still, we want you guys to eat for life. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for all the messages you send us. Uh, please keep letting us know what you like to hear, what you want to hear more of. Thank you, Kat, for coming back. Um, thank you, Dan Marcus, for giving us your time. We appreciate y'all. Your number one spot in esports for esports entrepreneurship, education, and entertainment, the Eat for Life podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see y'all next week. All right. Hey, before he shuts down, I want to reiterate we got a couple of these free tickets. We really want to support the community. So if you want those tickets, Sebastian, uh, Red, hit us up. We want you all to learn about this so you can unlock your future. We're doing this for you. Unlock your future. Stop playing. You need to get on your Funk Flex. You know how Funk Flex used to get on the radio? <laughs> be like, stop playing right now. Unlock your future. You playing games. We out here, son. We unlocking futures all day, every single day. Where's your future at? Oh, it's behind closed doors. Unlock your future, y'all. Uh, send anybody, Marcus, uh, Derek, me, Red, we'll direct you in the right place. Make sure you get your future unlocked. It's going to be a great event. I'll be there, tuned in, hopefully see you guys there too. And uh, Kat, thanks again for coming on. hope to have you on for another episode. Thank you all for tuning in like you do every week. Loyal and faithful. Twitch, LinkedIn, YouTube, I see you. We'll see you guys soon. Until then, keep eating for life. Holla back. Gamer is Central Florida's premier esports consultant for forward-thinking gamers, brands, and organizations. We create customized gaming-centric campaigns, programs, and initiatives to seamlessly support your business goals. Visit highpointgamer.com for more info.